Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, February 19th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out how a measure before the state legislature could see hemp growing in cotton country. Then, how Mississippi's First Lady is working to combine the comforts of a home and a total care hospital environment. She used to be able to run and walk when she was two and diagnosed, um, but since then she's lost all of her abilities. She can no longer swallow, so she has a feeding tube. She can't walk, can't move. She has major respiratory issues. And after a Mississippi StoryCorps, how gun violence can affect a state and a family. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A bill that would allow Mississippi farmers to grow hemp is making its way through the Mississippi legislature. As MPB's Desiree Frazier reports, supporters say it will help farmers financially and create jobs. In a debate on the Mississippi House floor, Democrat Tom Reynolds of Charleston in Tallahatchie County supports an amendment to House Bill 1547. It will remove hemp from the state's controlled substance list so farmers can grow the plant. The largest landowner in my county of residence said that they needed this crop because, uh, quite frankly, it's something you can make some money with. House Republican Dana Criswell of Olive Branch authored the amendment. He says hemp is confused with marijuana because they're both varieties of the cannabis plant. Criswell says the amount of THC, the chemical that causes the high, is very low in hemp. The hemp that we're talking about, the industrial hemp, has less than 0.3%. So you can't smoke hemp, industrial hemp, and get high. Criswell says hemp is used to make items such as rope, clothing, and oils. He says it's expected to be a $20 billion industry nationwide in four years, which would help farmers and create jobs. Republican Patricia Willis of Diamond Head chairs the Drug Policy Committee. She's against the amendment. I was told that not a lot of farmers were ready or had interest in it. John Callahar, who is with the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation, says they haven't taken a position on the issue. It's on the table, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see how many farmers want to actually grow it in Mississippi. A federal law legalizes hemp. HB 1547 was passed and moves on to the Senate for consideration. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. In other news, Governor Phil Bryant is expected to sign a proclamation today honoring kids who suffer from rare diseases. It's a project close to the heart of First Lady Deborah Bryant, who is spearheading a project to provide a home away from home for children who have to essentially live at the hospital. We'll talk to Deborah Bryant in a moment. One Mississippi mom who is all too familiar with the toll a rare childhood disease can take on a family is Amber Olson. She's the mother of five-year-old Willow Cannon, who has a condition known as MSD. Olson tells us more about her daughter's condition. MSD is multiple sulfatase deficiency. It's a rare genetic condition 
Um, basically, the cells in the body build full of trash over time, and it's a de- degenerative disease um, that takes away all skills. Willow is sitting in here with us. She's five years old, and yes. you may hear her, listeners, you may hear her breathing. Mm-hmm. Talk about what her symptoms are now, what, what you're dealing with. Yeah, so um, she used to be able to run and walk when she was two and diagnosed, um, but since then, she's lost all of her abilities. She can no longer swallow, so she has a feeding tube. She can't walk, can't move. She has major respiratory issues, um, so we do uh, kind of cystic fibrosis kind of treatments on her with nebulizer and CBT vest and cough assist um, and just basically trying to keep her from getting pneumonia. You started a foundation, the first of its kind in the United States. How many children have you met or families that have a child? With this. Um, so at the time she was diagnosed, we only knew about 20 ever. That's what the literature said. Um, we know of about 60 that are alive right now in the world, um, and 17 of them are in the U.S., and I've met probably over half of those. They must appreciate that you started it. Um, yeah, I mean, they're <clears throat> very grateful. When Willow was diagnosed, you had nowhere to turn. Yeah, so there was basic information out there. There was a lot of knowledge about the disease and what's happening, but not a lot about how we could push forward treatments. This, that's her feeding pump right there, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. I'm, I'm glad she's in here with us. Yeah. She's, for listeners, she's just as sweet and as cute as you can mm-hmm. imagine. What is her prognosis? Um, it's fatal. So most children die before they're 10 years old. And yet you're looking at a clinical trial in the future? Yes, hopefully early next year. And it may not only save her life, but reverse the damage that's been done? Yeah, I mean, we're very hopeful for that. So we hope at the very least it stops the disease from getting worse. Um, but, you know, the brain is an amazing thing, especially for a child. So there is some hope that it would reverse some of the damage. I'd like to bring Mrs. Bryan into the conversation now. The Mississippi Center for Medically Fragile Children is your baby, so to speak. This is something you're passionate about. Yes, ma'am. What constitutes medically fragile? It's children that um, that have conditions, chronic medical conditions, at least uh, two or more. Why is the center necessary? There is no other uh, center here in Mississippi like this for these children. Right now, we have four children that live in the hospital that literally live in the hospital because there is no place for them to go. They're too ill to live at home? They, Their families, for whatever reason, cannot take care of them at home, and so they are wards of the state. And uh, two of them have lived there for 15 years, another one for more than that, at least 20 or This more. center would provide what for them that they can't get? At- for these four children, it is included in the CON that it will be their forever home. But so they be- will move out of the hospital, which is why we want the center to look like a home-like environment so that the children that come here, because the purpose of the center is to transition children from acute care to skilled care. So those that no longer need acute care, and you, there's more than you know, can be moved in this facility so that they are transitioned to be able to go home and, and teach their parents how to care for them so that this hopefully will never happen again. This center, which is which is in the making, it's very close to our campus Yes, it's here. just your neighbor. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, off into the trees there. When will it be completed? Well, that's a good question because we have to break ground first, and uh, with all the rain, that kind of co- poses a problem. And then we have to get the money. Uh, We've already raised over $3 million, but uh, the initial uh, price of it was 12.5. but that does not include the medical gases and all the things that have to go in this center for the children to be able to, to 
be there. This ha- this center has 30 beds, as I 30 understand. 30 beds. Mm-hmm. Amber, you have, I should say, Willow needs extensive physical care. You have uh, a nurse. Glenda's yes. in here with us. You have a nurse during the day. of a nurse overnight. You have part-time nurses on the weekend. Mm-hmm. If that were not the case, would we all have to, to live in somewhere? Would she, it be yeah, she, for her? she could. And one of the things that the center is going to provide is respite care. So if my husband and I can't go anywhere together without our children, one of us has to stay home because even if the nurses are there, I mean, they can't take her to the hospital. Um, there needs to be somebody who has power of attorney to, to admit them in the hospital. So, you know, for families, you know, like if our other our other daughter's a swimmer, if we wanted to go to a swim meet or something like that, we wouldn't be able to, to take her. Now, I understand, Mrs. Bryant, that today legislation will be introduced? Yes. We hope to get a bond for the facility to help move it along. So that will happen today. Of course, today is Rare Disease Day at the Mississippi Capitol, and that will be going on until 11. The governor will sign a proclamation uh, for rare diseases at uh, 9.30 in his office. Amber, who's going to be there? How many parents? There's a big group of us. I don't know what the number is exactly, but lots of moms and children and then rare disease patients themselves. And, you know, as far as the numbers go, we know 30 million people in the U.S. have a rare disease. Half of those are children. That's 15 million. And 5 million children die before the age of 5. So it's a huge number. So I have, there's no issue with filling up this 30-bed hospital. Mrs. Bryan, have you gotten to know some of the families or some of the children that will benefit from the center? Absolutely. Um, I am actually an advocate for children with uh, complex medical issues. So I sit in on their meetings when they're meeting with the hospital about different concerns. And so I have met them. Uh, The little champion right now, KJ, who is the champion at Batson right now for this year. We've had uh, them over at the mansion actually a couple of times for lunch. His entire family, his brother and his parents. And uh, I know when they were talking about, he had a a go-kart accident. And his mother teared up when I was talking about this center and just said, do you realize what this would have meant to our family? And I realized that. When I'm around these families, I realize... Yeah, I realize about their their daily struggles, and um, it's something we just take for granted. We have no idea what these parents go through, and so um, any kind of support that I can give toward that, I am just 100% in. If people are interested in finding out more, first of all, about the center, Mrs. Bryan, is there a website people can go to? Yes, ma'am. It is uh, msfragilechildren.org. And Amber, what is your website for your foundation? CureMSD.org. So C-U-R-E-M-S-D.org. Amber Olson is the founder of the United MSD Foundation. She's the mother of Willow. Again, just the sweetest little girl you ever want to see. Uh, First Lady Deborah Bryant is championing the Mississippi Center for Medically Fragile Children. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up, how gun violence can affect a state and a family. That's after a Mississippi StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On the next In Legal Terms, our guest will be attorney Catherine Shireman to discuss divorce, child custody, child support, and grandparent rights. We'd love for you to participate with our show. That's why we do it. You can send an email anytime to legalterms at mpbonline.org or call in with your questions during our live show today at 10 a.m. Listen on MPB Think Radio or on the Internet at mpbonline.org. 
lot has changed in the decades since Marty Dunbar was brought home by her parents, Raymond and Sidney Schwartzfeger. In this week's Mississippi StoryCorps conversation, Marty and her parents talk about those early days and about how her dad got his interesting nickname, Skipper. I remember growing up loving to hear the story, I think all, all children do, of the day I was born because it was a pretty exciting story. So first put us in while we were in, happened to be in Oxford, Mississippi. I was in law school at the University of Mississippi, and, uh, and this was in 1958. Excuse me, this was in 1960. Uh, I did not have much money at all. I was going to school on a shoestring, and I still owed the doctor who was to deliver you $80 (laughs) when you were due, which was, that was a sizable sum of money back in 1960. So I went up to the Fidelt house (laughs) and played poker until I won the $80, and I left the... He's very the good poker at poker. Table Don't and, play with them. And <clears throat> paid the doctor off, so we were all ready for your arrival. But when we got to the infirmary, in those days it was uh, pretty basic compared to what it is now. We we went to an infirmary, and your mother was in labor for 15 hours. Every time she'd have a labor pain, she'd hit me in the chest. <laughs> I was black and blue. Finally, after about 12 or 13 hours, the doctor said she was just piddling and he was going to go home and have supper. So uh, here comes the baby as soon as he left. <laughs> you came and there were no nurses around. I screamed and hollered and couldn't get anybody's attention and I got your mother on a gurney and got her wheeled into the delivery room and you were coming (laughs) and uh, uh, finally thank god a nurse showed up that helped with the delivery but the doctor wasn't anywhere around when you were delivered Uh, it was me and a nurse that delivered you and that was such an exciting story for me as a child because that was way before uh, husbands or partners were ever in, allowed into the room where the baby was born. You were just supposed to go somewhere and smoke a cigarette and wait for the news. Yeah, it was really different up in Oxford, though. They they gave your mother ether afterwards, which is what they gave dogs, you know. <laughs> I thought they stopped giving ether to people in the 30s. You've seen uh, it out. You've seen it in movies where they put a little mask on your nose and then the liquid drips, uh-huh. and that's how they give ether. Wow! That hospital now is. Uh, I, uh, as things turned out, I wound up living in Oxford after I graduated from the University of Mississippi, and um, and now that's there's some beautiful condos <laughs> where the whole infirmary was. Now, you, when you introduce yourself, Dad, um, with your full name and then your nickname, Skip, Skipper, tell me about how you got that nickname. Well, uh, it's my understanding that I was about a year old, and my dad came in the house. He had been gone uh, to a OPA camp or a CPA camp. He was in the military before World War II, but... This was when he was still in, in training in one of these uh, pre-military camps. And he'd been gone for six or eight months. And he apparently watched me operating. I walked when I was seven months old. 
And so I was running around uh, and pretty well uh, taking up everybody's time. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he he said, well, he looks like the little skipper of the ship, doesn't he? He's got us all paying attention. And it stuck. stuck. I practiced law for 43 years in Laurel, and I don't think some of the judges even knew my real name. Everybody <laughs> called me Skipper, and still do. Some of my good friends don't know my real name. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Donating your change to MPB just got better. Visit mpbonline.org slash support. Change donors are now change sustainers with instant benefits like passport streaming video and home delivery of our fine-tuning program. If you'd like to give a set amount every day, now you can. Donations are charged directly to your card, which means you can earn points and a tax deduction. Visit mpbonline.org slash support and become an MPB change sustainer today. Catholic leaders gather in Rome this week to discuss the continuing clergy sexual abuse crisis. Survivors say they are not hopeful meaningful change will come from it. Those people, to me, are the bigger criminals. They covered up the abuse and they allowed more and more children to be put in harm's way. And that breaks my heart. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi activists are fighting a battle against gun violence. Mary Helen Abel is a mother and a gun owner. She's with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. The organization fights for what they call common sense gun reform. Abel says there are an average of 18 unintentional gun deaths in Mississippi per year. Any time that a society consistently experiences traumatic events, it changes a society. And there are communities in Mississippi where gun violence is a regular occurrence. And so these children are walking around in fear, not knowing what's going to happen. Tamara Ware is from Jackson and has lost multiple members of her family to gun violence, including her sister. She shares her sister's story with MPB's Jasmine Ellis. Well, in 2013, my sister was shot and killed by her roommate's father due to a a bad misunderstanding about both of them moving and it just was an argument and he wasn't he was he was drunk that day and he just he shot her and he shot her in front of her son he was four at the time how old was your sister she was 26 years old she had two children correct and your nephew was yes your nephew was there when it happened how have your niece and nephew been doing they have not been doing well um my nephew he's in counseling but he cannot even stand for people to get loud. If they get loud, I guess it triggers something in him. He has emotional breakdowns. He just, and then we can't bring him out of it for about an hour or so. He he don't, it don't even have to be pertaining to him. We could be in a grocery store and somebody else is arguing or somebody else is raising their voice. He just can't take it. It's, it's, 
emotionally, he just cannot take it, period. He's receiving help. What are you doing to make sure he receives the help that he needs? And also, are you doing the same thing for your niece, although you mentioned she was at school at the time? They are actually separate. We're actually from Indianapolis, Indiana. So her father stays in Indianapolis, Indiana. That's where she stays. And my nephew stays down here in Jackson, Mississippi with us, not with me and my sister personally. He stays with his father. And so his, but his father's, he's very, very good at trying to help him to get things straight. He's going through a lot himself because it's very trying. It's very trying at times for him. He He's making straight A's, which is, is, is great, but his temper is getting out of hand because he don't know how to channel his emotions. And everything leans back to his mom. He misses his mom. Like when we have, he come, we see him every weekend, every Friday through Sunday. We see him every weekend. But he asks us stories about his mom all the time. And sometimes we don't even have any more stories for him. We just make up stories to make him feel better. So how are you coping with the loss of your sister and knowing that you have a niece and a nephew who will go on and grow up and not have their mom around? It is so hard for me. Like I had my moments, really do. Um, um, it's hard because it's hard for my mom. You know, like my mom, she she didn't grieve like she should. Like you know how people grieve. She did not grieve. So a year later, which was in 2014, she had an emotional breakdown. She had to get counseling. It was really really bad with her because she didn't allow herself to grieve. It was really hard. And then I had my moments now, like her birthday is about to come March the 5th. That's going to be hard for my whole entire family. And we always get together. We always celebrate her birthday. It don't matter where we stay. I got one stay in Atlanta. I, my mom had five girls. So they all stay separate. One stay in Atlanta, one stay in Indiana. And I have a twin sister. And we both stay in Mississippi. We all link up together. And we go to my sister's gravesite, which is actually in Mount Bayou, Mississippi. And we do the balloons and we sing and stuff. We do this every year. This is just something to make us all feel better about the situation. Because it has its, its days. Like, I have been, 2013, 2014 was my worst years of my life. I, I mean, that I've ever experienced. Because I never knew what depression was until that day. Tamara, I am so sorry for the loss of your sister. And I thank you so much for joining us and for telling your story. Thank you for letting me tell my story. I truly appreciate it. Tamara Ware shared her story with our Jasmine Ellis. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's in legal terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Relatively Speaking from Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores, or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. On the next In Legal Terms, our guest will be attorney Catherine Shireman to discuss divorce, child custody, child support, and grandparent rights. We'd love for you to participate with our show. That's how we do it. You can send an email anytime to legalterms at mpbonline.org or call in with your questions during our live show today at 10 a.m. Listen on MPB Think Radio or on the Internet at mpbonline.org. Catholic leaders gather in Rome this week to discuss the continuing clergy sexual abuse crisis. Survivors say they are not hopeful meaningful change will come from it. Those people, to me, are the bigger criminals. They covered up the abuse and they allowed more and more children to be put in harm's way. And that breaks my heart. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. 